Hey, y'all. This is Sam's Aunt Betty. This week on the show, from Southern California Public Radio, reporter Prisca Neely and business correspondent for NPR, Sonari Glanton. All right, let's start the show. Woo-hoo. Yeah. <laughs> hey, y'all, from NPR, I'm Sam Sanders. It's been a minute. We are broadcasting from NPR West in Culver City, California. As Betty said, Prisca Neely is a senior reporter at KPCC covering early childhood. Uh, KPCC is Southern California Public Radio. Thanks for being here today. Thank you, Sam. Happy to be back. Yeah, second time. <laughs> and Sonari Glinton, business correspondent for NPR, mostly covers autos, but also covers a bit of everything. So glad you're here today. We're going to talk some more about cars in a bit. Thanks, right. Sonari. It's a pleasure. So I have a song for you guys today. I want you to hear a little bit. It's this rapper, singer, producer yeah. named Masego. And the song is called I Do Everything. And I picked it today for a few reasons. One, I like the song. It's quite catchy. But um, he does this thing in the song where he, like, asks himself how many instruments he can play. Do you play the keys? I can play that. Do you play the sax? I can play that. <laughs> it's fun. And so then he gets into the chorus and he just says over and over and over. Everything's everything, thing, I do everything. Yeah. I can do everything. Wow. Everything, everything. Risk is feeling this. Sonari, I'm not so sure. You know, I, 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 I am, you know. I'm a little older than both of you. I'm I'm sort of over the sort of ego. I'm way over the ego of rap. I can do everything. Like, I think a lot of people need to hear that to know that. To motivate. To motivate. But I kind of, I'm at the place where, at my age, where it's like, I don't want to do everything. (laughs) I I really don't. Like, everything is exhausting. So we won't do everything. We'll just do some of the things today. So today in the show, we got a lot of good stuff. Uh, women, singer-songwriters, tariffs, and cars. As we always do, we start the show by each of us describing how the week of news felt in three words. I don't pick the order, but they say I'm going first today. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. All right. My three words are trans-Pacific partnerships. Plural, because there are two trans-Pacific alliances or partnerships Mm -hmm. that I've been following closely this week. The first is the new TPP minus America. So during the election cycle, the Trans-Pacific Partnership was going to be this big trade deal connecting Asian nations to the West. And pretty much all of the candidates came out against it. Um, Hillary Clinton, Bernie Sanders. And when Donald Trump took office, he kept the U.S. officially out of TPP. But this week, the remaining 11 countries in that pact, they did sign it. And it is called something different now. It's called the Comprehensive and Progressive Agreement for Trans-Pacific Partnership. Easy to say. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And remember. Yeah. I was in China and um, for several weeks in the fall Mm -hmm. or along the time when the president was there. Yeah. And you could feel America retreating, like literally feel it retreating. Oh, yeah. And the Chinese considered this time a moment of opportunity. Mm-hmm. While we are stepping back, they're, they're stepping taping in. like three steps forward. Oh, yeah. And like this trade deal, it now sets up with this new TPP light or TPP minus America. It's going to be the third biggest trade block in the world after NAFTA and the EU. Some of the countries included are Canada, Mexico, New Zealand, Malaysia, Vietnam, Singapore, Peru, but not us. 
Second Trans-Pacific partnership that I'm really into this week and have been following this week, Donald Trump may be forming a partnership of sorts with North Korea. He has agreed this week to meet with North Korea's leader, Kim Jong-un. Now, the White House did say late this week that North Korea has to take some, quote, concrete action to demonstrate it's committed to denuclearizing at some point. But if this meeting goes ahead, it's a really big deal. Huge deal. Right. Oh, Oh, yes. It's the biggest deal because we used to rely on the Chinese to sort of mediate, mediate. And it's historical. So at no time has a sitting U.S. president actually met with a North Korean leader. Uh, Madeleine Albright met with Kim Jong Il back in 2000. But Bill Clinton did not. And the thinking is lots of folks say it's best for the U.S. to wait until North Korea gives up something before they meet face to face. Trump is saying, whatever, we'll do it now. Yeah, it's one of those headlines that you see and you're like, is this real? Is this going to happen? Like, you see it breaking on CNN and you're like, huh? Like, refresh, refresh, refresh. (laughs) Well, and then also, this comes after Trump was just tweeting really, really crazy (laughs) fire and fury tweets at North Korea. Mm -hmm. So we'll see. Priska, you're up next. I want you to describe your week of news and whatever else in three words. My three words are, it's all connected. And I like that. Yeah, it is. (laughs) <laughs> and, you know, I, I can think about that on a lot of ways this week, you know, with all the tariff news. And, you know, we're just learning it's not just steel. It's not just aluminum. It would have ripple effects on so many products. And now we're going to get into that more later. But since I cover early childhood, I think about little kids, zero to five. This week I did a story about in-home daycare. So, you know, you take your kid to some, some type of child care. And sometimes it's either a center or uh-huh. you could take it to someone who has a daycare in their home. In their house, yeah. Yeah. So in California, the rate of those in-home daycares since the recession has gone down 26%. So we've lost hmm. 26% of the home daycares. And that wow. sounds like a really specific, you know, statistic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the ripple effects of that are really significant because the cost of that child care is so much less than a center and so really? much less than a lot of other options Why? for families. They're smaller, but, you know, Mm -hmm. the the operating costs of a a center, you know, is going to be a lot more. But also these are a lot of times women who have started, mostly women, who have started their own small businesses out of their home. They're a lot more affordable. It's easier for them to have later hours, you know, Mm -hmm. or to start earlier to provide after school care, to provide care on the weekends. So for working families, it's a really good option. And when parents don't have an affordable option, a lot of times, especially in California, it's going to be a cost that's higher than your rent. Or uh. childcare, and if you don't have childcare, you can't go to work. That yeah. may be one parent who's out of the workforce, yeah. and that's going to affect the co- the, economy. the economy. That's going to affect the employment rate. So it's all connected there. And I mean, I feel like we just talk about silos so much in the time uh-huh. in the way that we think about policy. Yeah. But if you look at the ripple effects, yeah. you realize how significant you know some of these some of these policy decisions are. And it's so interesting. Like the the big story that we saw this week, all about money and kids, was this strike in West Virginia, yeah. teachers asking for a 5% raise. But this hits kids even earlier. Yeah. You know, in West Virginia, that's another example of things being connected because teachers in other states are taking note. And we're, we're seeing, we're looking at Oklahoma now. They might be striking? Yeah. I mean, oh, wow. that's, that's they were looking at doing it in April, but now the timeline is kind of moving up on that because huh. of what's going on in West Virginia. Yeah. And, you know, don't even get me started on <laughs> what it means if all your teachers, you know, and that wasn't just <laughs> teachers and that wasn't just the unions. That was huh. bus drivers. That was that were uh, cooks. Really? Those were all sorts of employees who were yeah. taking note of what the teachers were doing and say, yeah, yeah. hey, we we don't have a good either. The dots have been connected. <laughs> I appreciate it's, it's, that, guys. As a car reporter, you realize it is all connected. It's oh, all yeah. connected. Oh, yeah. yeah. 
Uh, okay, Sonari, you're up next. Your week in three words. I'm going to say Saint Oscar Romero. Um, who is that? Um, who he he is cleared the the biggest hurdle to becoming a saint this week. It is really all the sign in the paperwork okay. for making him a saint. He was an archbishop of San Salvador, and huh. um, he was killed in 1980. And he was one of the leaders of the liberation theology movement, or he's seen as one of the yeah. pinnacles of the liberation theology movement. Describe and, that for those who might not know what I it mean, is. I mean, liberation theology is the church in action is the idea in the will of the people. Yeah. So essentially, you know, using Jesus's gospel. Uh-huh to affect political and social change and looking mainly at the the displaced, the yeah. minorities and things like that. And it that. kind of merges Catholicism and religion with social justice ideals. Yes, exactly. And that is the idea that the church would recognize this man. It's, it's it, symbolic it, of it's a lot very, more. It's very symbolic. And what's interesting is that the that part of the church, the liberation theology part yeah. of the church, the that is what I grew up in. But that part of Catholicism has, in many ways, been you know put aside yeah. in the church, and it's a really emotional thing yeah. for Catholics and especially mm. uh, Salvadorans yeah. all over the world. Yeah. And it's interesting to see you bring that up because this week there was some other news in the Catholic Church. Um, a collective of women, of Catholic women, they urged Pope Francis to tear down. The Catholic Church's quote walls of misogyny. Yeah, it's like I mean, as, as someone who spent you know the first twenty years, eighteen years of my life inside of the Catholic Church, it is very clear to anyone who's ever been to one, spent time there, who was in charge. Hmm. I don't know what Father Malahan was doing <laughs> all the time, but Sister Rosemary was in the paint, and that is true. Yes, in the church, the nuns in hospitals, in schools, women who lead the Boy Scout troops and the things like that, they make the church. They are the heart of the church. And oh, so yeah. when people talk about it and they talk about the scandals and things that have happened over the years, those of us who who were raised in it, we always think of I, I think, think of the of women. The women. Yeah. And I am so happy yet again that women are standing up and speaking about this, in, especially in International Women's yeah. Month. You are listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR. When we come back after this break, we're going to talk about tariffs, but in a fun way. I in promise. A fun way. In a fun way, Bristol. <laughs> get ready. Prepare yourself. Uh, I'm Sam Sanders. We'll be right back. Support for this podcast and the following message come from the NPR Wine Club. Discover hand-selected wines from award-winning vineyards around the world. Learn the stories behind each one and enjoy unique bottles inspired by your favorite NPR shows. All with the convenience of home delivery. A special welcome offer includes a bottle of weekend edition Cabernet Sauvignon. If you're 21 years or older, join in the fun at nprwineclub.org. Invisibilia is back for a new season with new stories about small personal battles. I'm a different person now. You're fake. And huge cultural issues. This is probably going to get somebody killed. So tune in for Invisibilia Season 4. You're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR, the show where we catch up on the week that was. I'm Sam Sanders here with two guests, Prisca Neely, who covers early childhood for NPR member station KPCC in Southern California, Hello. Hey, hey. And Sonari Glinton, business correspondent for NPR. He covers autos and a bit of everything else. Thanks for being here. It's a pleasure. All right. Quick question before we hop back into the news. Um, I want to play a sound for you guys first. 
I know what it is. What is it? It's Alexa's creepy laugh. Yes. So Alexa, the smart speaker that everyone's getting in their homes, this week people have been complaining that out of the blue, for no reason, it starts to laugh at you. (laughs) (laughs) That is the craziest thing. So my question to you guys is, um, if you heard that noise from your Alexa randomly, what would you do? Um, I mean, I guess if it was all of a sudden it was in the other room, I really don't. I, I would be really creeped out. I would unplug it. It's like this is this is the future. It's like, I don't but know. But it's scary. Why is it scary? Out of the blue. Because it's out of the blue. What would uh, you do, Sonari? Uh, I would be like, thank you for appreciating that joke. That was three hours ago. <laughs> <laughs> okay. A okay. delayed reaction. <laughs> yeah. So after everyone was saying, my Alexa is laughing at me. Mm-hmm. Amazon was forced to respond. They said the problem was that the Amazon smart speakers were incorrectly hearing commands asking them to laugh. So Amazon says that they are going to change Alexa's response from just laughter to, sure, I can laugh, followed by laughter. That's even creepier. (laughs) Well, you know, this is hard. I mean, to go with Prisca's everything connected is connected. Just quickly, smart speakers is literally the way we're going to be running our cars. So Toyota's working on an Alexa-like really? product. And it has a face and it, oh, a little no. screen. No, 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 no. It has a no. face and a screen, but it is no. getting people comfortable because in the Mm-mm. coming world, Mm-mm. the no. driverless cars, no. No. in the coming world, the driverless cars will need to not only drive sentient people, but people who might not be fully there. I'm delete, be in my delete, bunker. delete. Yeah, yeah. I'll be with you, Prisco. I'll, I'll t- <laughs> Now it's time for a segment that we call Long Distance, where we call somebody out in the world and talk to them about the news in their neck of the woods. Uh, This week, there was some news in Florida. On Friday, Governor Rick Scott signed a new gun bill. This comes in the aftermath of the school shooting in Parkland. So we want to talk to a gun owner in Florida. We called one. His name is Jason Leisenfeld. He lives in Orlando. And we should note here, we taped this conversation before that bill was signed by Governor Scott. Hey, Jason, how are you? Pretty good, sir. How are you? I'm good. I'm Sam. Thank you so much for your time today. No problem. So you are in Orlando. What do you do there? Well, I actually work two jobs here in Orlando. The first one is for one of our local uh, government organizations here. And then my second job is I am the manager of a small gun shop in South Orlando. We also have two indoor shooting ranges. So we really strive to be a one-stop shop in the Central Florida area for anybody looking for any type of firearms for any need or any type of education. I'm guessing you yourself are a gun owner. Um, How many guns do you have? What kind of guns? I currently have about half a dozen handguns, and I have one functional full-size rifle at this point in time, and I'm actually building another one from parts. You're building one? Yes, sir. Okay. We are talking to you today because in Florida this week, state lawmakers there passed a gun control bill that would do a few things. Uh, It would raise the age needed to purchase guns to 21. It would ban bump stocks. It would make a waiting period for buying guns. It would allow school personnel to be armed. Fun school security, um, expand mental health services. This is all in reaction to the Parkland shooting that happened in Florida a few weeks ago. Um, What are your thoughts on this bill that passed? Um, As far as the age limit, I think it's just kind of, you know, we're chasing after a problem that's already happened. There's so many people, and Florida's been, 
you know, 18 years old for shotguns and rifles for so long that you have people that bought last year when they were 18 that now they're 19 and they're still firing. They're still going to have it, you're saying. Correct. And, you know, the other thing is we've seen on the news a lot recently where kids who are well below the age of 18 are getting their hands on firearms and are using them incorrectly or they're hurting themselves with them. And the parents didn't know. The parents aren't gun owners. They don't know where the gun came from. So I think the age limit is, it's like making there be an age limit on alcohol. Kids under the age of 18 are still getting beer. They're still getting liquor. They're still drinking. They're still committing DUIs and getting into car accidents. It's going to happen the same with firearms. And I think the only people that that part of the bill affects is the people that are already going to follow the laws that are in place. Hmm. Has anything about the way you think about guns, the way you've been using guns, the way you've been talking about guns, has any of that changed since the Parkland shooting? How I use firearms? No, it hasn't changed anything for me. I'm a sports shooter and I'm a hunter. I like to shoot targets at distance. You know, since the Parkland shooting, I've had a lot more conversations. Being a a manager and an instructor at a gun range, I have to now address these issues of, well, why do people need the AR-15 or why do people want them? What do you say to that question? Well, you know, when you look back at the history of the AR-15, it was originally designed in the late 50s, early 60s as a lightweight modular weapon to carry. And it's transitioned into a great competition rifle a great hunting rifle, and a great platform for recreational shooters because it is so modular, people can adapt it to their own individual needs and wants for it. Do you have an AR-15 yourself? No, I actually don't own an AR-15. I own the larger caliber variety of it, the AR-10, because when I'm hunting, I like to be a responsible hunter. I like to be able to place one shot onto an animal and know that that animal's actually going to expire from that shot where the animal's not going to suffer. So you have an AR that's actually bigger than the AR-15? Correct. Have you talked with your family, anyone in your family, differently about guns or had new conversations about guns since the shooting? I have, actually. Um, My wife and I are kind of on opposite issues of the firearm spectrum. Really? Oh, yeah. She doesn't like them. She doesn't want them around. She doesn't see the need for the amount that I have. But on the other side of that, It's just one of those things where I have a specific purpose for each of the firearms I own, whether it's day-to-day concealed carry or duty carry when I'm managing the gun store. It's a larger firearm or hunting. For the most part, after talking about it 10, 15, 20 minutes, we can both come around to the fact that we see the coin from different sides. So then you're saying to me that neither of you have changed the other's mind. Um, I think we've both softened each other's views on it a little bit. What's softened with you? I really, for a while, stood on the fact that everyone, you know, coming out of the military or law enforcement should be afforded, you know, what their duty weapon was or a rifle or something of that nature just to be prepared. I'm seeing her point of view more in the fact that there are too many people in this world that, A, will not store those firearms safely and securely, Mm. and they'll end up in the wrong hands too often, and B, there are too many people that are so quick to resort to violence to solve their problems that they don't know how to have a civil discussion about their differences anymore. Hmm. Okay. Um, I want to lighten the mood. What are your fun plans for the weekend, sir? Fun plans for the weekend? I am actually, um, it's my wife's birthday today. Happy birthday to your wife. What's her name? Mary Elizabeth. Happy birthday, Mary Elizabeth. So we are actually just going to have a nice weekend. We may just run around, do a little bit of shopping local here in Orlando and just enjoy a little bit of time off together. Okay. Well, hey, I really appreciate your time today and 
talking this issue, this tough issue out with me. And I also forgot to say earlier, you're a former uh, Marine, correct? Yes, sir. Marine veteran. Thank you for your service. My pleasure, sir. All righty. Take care. Bye-bye. Listeners want to talk to you for this segment. Hit us up. Tell us what's going on in your neck of the woods. What's the word you want to talk about? Email us at samsanders at npr.org. You are listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR, the show where we catch up on the week that was. I am Sam Sanders here with two guests, Prisca Neely, who covers early childhood for KPCC. Hey, hey. Also here with Sonari Glinton. He's a correspondent for NPR's business desk, uh, and he covers cars. You guys, it's time for our main story of the week. Um, bear with me, bear with me, bear with me. We're going to talk about <laughs> tariffs. I know you've heard about tariffs all week. Raise I your hand if you have. You haven't heard, heard about, about tariffs? What is, I haven't even okay. heard of I've never heard of that at all. <laughs> what? You're funny. You're funny, Prisca. <laughs> As we all know, President Trump uh, this week ordered some new tariffs, a 25% tariff on imported steel and a 10% tariff on imported aluminum. It's going to take effect in 15 days. Um, There are a few carve-outs for American allies like Canada and Mexico. Some more exceptions might be made later. I'm sure that our listeners have been hearing about tariffs all week, so I wanted to get into this story in a different kind of way. And part of why we have you here, Sonari, is because you can talk about how these tariffs might affect a thing that's made with a lot of steel, cars. And aluminum now. Yeah. So to get us into it, you brought us a little bit of tape uh, from Commerce Secretary Wilbur Ross. This was from CNBC last week. Yeah. This is a can of Campbell's soup. There's in the can of Campbell's soup, there's about 2.6 pennies worth of steel. He says, oh, with the tariffs being raised, this can of soup would only go up fractions of a penny. That's about six tenths of one cent on the price. So he was basically going on the show to defend the tariffs. So who in the world is going to be too bothered by six-tenths of a cent. But when you think about it, you're not driving your Campbell soup can, right? (laughs) Sometimes my car feels like one. Yeah, well, you know, and it's not $35,000. So you're saying the tariff has a bigger effect on a car. which already the car companies, in their last earnings reports, Mm -hmm. were saying that already commodity prices were going to be a drag on their earnings. Commodities like steel and aluminum. Commodities like steel, aluminum, all these other things so that go into a car. Problem. They were like, in the coming year, this is going to be an issue. So if it's, you know, six-tenths of a penny on a... On a Campbell's soup can. On a can, a Campbell's soup can, then. it's orders of magnitude. So hundreds of dollars, thousands of dollars possibly. Even if it's hundreds of dollars, what people forget about the car industry is that the margins are razor thin. Smaller vehicles, especially. I mean, a Ford Fiesta... Those kind of cars, right? Yeah. Where there ain't no margin, like that yeah, might the be. The price just goes up. The, the price goes up. And if you are a cost conscious consumer, which most of us should be, that's where it's going to yeah. affect people. So if I was buying like another Nissan Versa, I mean, I've had mine for years now. <laughs> that may be a bigger hit for me. It, it, it's There's a potential. But what it also does is it adds just in general costs and it, the worry about retaliation and things like that. It puts pressure on steel and the industry, and it makes them harder to be nimble and do business. Yeah. You know, one thing that I've noticed with Donald Trump's rhetoric on tariffs is that he speaks about it kind of as a zero-sum game. China has this. The U.S. has this. We do that. They do this. But these multinational corporations, like car makers, they are getting bits and pieces Mm. and parts and labor from all over the world. Yeah, it's really, because when we talk about 
automakers, right? People will say like Nissan is a Japanese company, but then also builds cars in Alabama and all over, yeah. right? The auto industry is the one of the most complicated. Says the guy that covers autos. No, 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 but, I'm not, <laughs> but anyone will tell you. This industry is so complicated yeah. and this putting more strain on it. Sales are going down. Of cars? Of cars have huh. been going down and we're looking for even more plateaus. Mm-hmm. So adding the tariff adds yeah. a complication and could yeah. cost jobs. I want to let Prisca ask any car questions about these tariffs and such if she has any for Sonari, our car guy. Well, I asked about my Nissan Versa. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, the other word, the other T word I've been hearing a lot this week is like trade war. I don't yes. fully understand yeah, how, I what that would mean it. or how that would affect it's me. Scary. Can, 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 I, can yeah. I jump in on that? Uh, so Planet Money is doing a series um, of films so we can watch my chicken tax film. I did a story a few years ago about a trade war that we got into with Germany. And what is funny about trade wars is how crazy they are. We already have a huge tariffs of 25% on pickup trucks in America. Really? Uh, yes. Okay. So you cannot import from outside of the NAFTA region, Hmm. a pickup truck without a 25% tariff. This came about because back in the early 60s, the Germans were mad because we were flooding their market with delicious frozen chicken. And the German farmers got mad and they wanted a tariff on chicken. We Hmm. retaliated by looking around and putting a tariff on pickup trucks. Now, of course, the Germans ended their chicken tax Mm -hmm. And we kept ours. And that is an interesting thing because it has changed the truck industry in the U.S. Yes, it's kept jobs here, but you can easily say that it's stunted innovation. It has done all kinds of things Mm -hmm. to the car industry that are kind of unnatural. So when you look at these trade wars, there are so many unintended consequences. And we've already heard uh, from several countries saying, Trump, if you do this, we're going to hit you back with a tariff. We're already hearing that. I do want to pivot briefly, Sonari, because even if uh, these tariffs raise the price of Prisca's next car, there are some <laughs> other factors at play that are raising the price of a car besides that, right? Like the average U.S. car costs $35,000 today. Right, There's yeah. a reason it's, for that. It's, it's, it's over. Yeah. Well, the reason for that is... We are all, it's all connected. We don't, like when we have families and things like that, we feel like I need to have an even bigger steel cage. So uh, (laughs) SUVs are on the rise. We flip the switch from being a mostly car culture to the mostly SUV Mm. culture. And what's frightening to me is that $35,000 car, which for me, and I'm, you know, not underpaid, is a stretch, right? For many, many Americans, it's now becoming a stretch. The loan term, so people are taking loans out on these cars for like 69 months. How many years is that? Five, Six, over, five, five years. over five years. Oh, Lord. Right? And so really where you should be sweet spot of paying off your car is like if you have a decent down payment is probably like two to three years, right? So when you see these consumers stretching to buy that SUV, when you see lease rates, the number of leases go to an all-time high. Yes, we love these SUVs, but is it good for us like yeah. economically? Yeah. And I wonder about what that means for the consumer coming up. Prisca, has this conversation made you more or less likely to buy a new car in the near future? Um, Less. I'm just going to drive my Versa <laughs> into the ground hatchback for life. I just paid off my hatchback a few months ago, and I'm and I tell you what, I'm gonna keep it till the wheels fall off. Uh, yeah. I, you know, I used to think that I used to be, used to say that, but now with the uh, safety advances in the technology, there I have is, airbags. 
Yeah, um, I don't no. want my car talking to me. Are you talking about the <laughs> face of the Alexa? I don't okay. want that. Okay, but so this no, is I'm one of the not getting I'm, any new car. Okay, so I'm just gonna I'm just gonna throw that in as cars get safer. Like our sort of knee jerk reaction to that, I always think, you know, last year nearly forty thousand people died in a car. We are the dumbest thing in the automobile as those vehicles <laughs> speak for yourself as those as the vehicles get smarter they just get safer and, and more expensive get, and more expensive but there are other options okay thank you Sonari alright guys time for one more quick break when we come back no more cars just my favorite game who said that Support for this podcast and the following message come from Simply Safe Home Security. Getting a good night's sleep is easier said than done, especially if you hear a noise downstairs. You could turn on all the lights and keep watch, or you can rest easy, knowing that your home and family are protected with Simply Safe. Each Simply Safe system is a complete security arsenal. There are no contracts and no hidden fees. Learn more today at simplysafe.com/minute. What's unique about the human experience, and what do we all have in common? I'm Guy Raz. Every week on TED Radio Hour, we go on a journey through the big ideas, emotions, and discoveries that fill all of us with wonder. Find it on NPR One or wherever you get your podcasts. You guys, it is time for my favorite game. Ooh, should I do it? You should do it, Briska. Go ahead. <laughs> do it. Ooh, who said that? Who said that? Ooh, who said that? <laughs> who said that? <laughs> in the right key. You were in the right key. Yeah. I'm going to go ahead and give you an air high five on that one, okay? <laughs> Thanks for that. Yeah. So you guys know how this works. I share a quote from the week. You have to guess who said that, or at least get close, guess the story, get a keyword, anything. The winner gets absolutely nothing. Which is the best gift, some right. would say. <laughs> <laughs> if, yes. if I win, you buy me lunch. Actually, I will. I will. Gifts are not my love language, so it's fine. <laughs> We're going to talk about that outside of the studio. Oh. <laughs> All right, first quote. You ready? Here it is. I also have that diva thing attached to me. I mean, I'm sitting here doing an interview in lingerie. Who said that? Oh, man. I really studied for this. <laughs> I wrote down a list of possible answers. Really? Yeah. Oh. I don't know. It's a singer-songwriter. Oh, no. A singer-songwriter? <laughs> a singer-songwriter who y'all know I love. Adele? I don't like her. Oh, Sorry, Adele fans. Oh, no. uh, should um, I just tell you? Mariah Carey. Oh, can't yes. sleep on Mariah. I'm don't so sleep sorry. on her. I'm She's so got sorry. the range, kids. Oh. Should she be described as a singer songwriter? She, she wrote that oh, Christmas oh, song. Oh, oh. <laughs> hold on, hold on. So, Mariah Carey was quoted in a recent interview with V Magazine this week. And she said, one, she doesn't care about the Grammys or other accolades, um, but she talked about at length how women songwriters, like herself, sometimes aren't taken seriously. Oh, oh, my- and she said, quote, about songwriting, it's something that I think a lot of people don't give women enough credit for unless they are known visually as someone strumming a guitar or they're behind a piano most of the time. Okay, fine. You're, <laughs> that you're, that, that is- was a direct response to me, Mariah. <laughs> fine. Oh, yeah. So basically she was saying people don't take her seriously because she wears lingerie for interviews. We don't take female songwriters Seriously, yeah. I think I think the most underrated female songwriter, Dolly Parton, huh. still doesn't get. I'll take it. Th- does not get. Can we cue up Jolene? Yeah, please. That <laughs> is a like, classic. It's oh, a great it's song. So beautiful. Um, so so who who got? None of y'all got that no, one. I'm it's sorry. It's fine. I still believe in both of you. Okay. Thanks. Let's see if any of my other answers. I don't. I want to know what your other answers list. were. Uh, okay. Next quote. You ready? Ari, not okay. Yes. Just leave. 
This was on my list. The Bachelor. It's Brie the Bachelor crazy finale. I used to be part of Bachelor Nation, but I bowed out a couple seasons ago. Let me tell you, kids, I am all up in Bachelor Nation. No. I live in the capital of Bachelor Nation. And I'm very disappointed. So let me tell you what happened. Uh, This week was the season finale of The Bachelor. He was supposed to choose between two women and then propose to the one that he picked. Right. That's how the show works. Yes. For the record. He picked Becca. (laughs) He proposed to Becca. And then a while after that, he was like, nah, I want Lauren. So he dumped Becca, who he had proposed to on national television, to get back with Lauren. In response to this, the Bachelor Nation put up several billboards in L.A. (laughs) and Minnesota, where Becca lives, saying, Ari, not okay, just leave. Um, They're really (laughs) mad at him. They've also sent wine money to Becca to help her grieve, like money for alcohol. Um, But so Becca will now be the next bachelorette. I mean, yeah. So on the one hand, I'm like, of course she's going to be the one because, you know, everyone's invested in her and wants to see her do well. But at the same time, like, get out of there, lady. (laughs) Why would you want to go through this again on national television? Hold on. Why would anyone... A lot Wanna of go? No, 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 no. But I, I mean, I, I love The Bachelor too. Yeah. But the reason I love The Bachelor is there's something crazy about it. Something yeah, I mean, like, you, yeah. and like, and so to talk rationally about where you're going to be in The Bachelor, it's like, no, you got to just, you got to jump into the crazy right. and just stay there. Yeah. And that's the only way, because if you start thinking about right, it. Right. And yeah, it makes yeah, no like, sense. It makes, it makes no sense. It falls It's apart. an addictive television show, Oh, though. God. I'm, Man, it's addictive. Oh, I love it. I wish Becca the best. My heart goes out to her. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, you guys, this is, if you get this, Sonora, you could tie a game that has no prize. <laughs> Third okay. quote. Ready? Since I feel partly responsible for breaking your retainers, let me know if I can replace them. Who said that? A physical retainer? Like a tooth retainer. In your mouth. Yeah. Okay, just to clear. In- I'm just, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I'm just going to go with, uh, I don't know, Barbara Streisand said that? I don't know. Was it an Oscar? Is it, was it at the Oscars? It is a, an actor who has been involved with films that have been up for Oscars. He's in the biggest movie in the country right now. Black Panther. Okay. Who... Michael B. Jordan. Yes, Prisco. Uh-oh. <laughs> so let me tell you what happened. Uh, in the movie Black Panther, Michael B. Jordan plays the villain, but he spent a lot of time on screen shirtless, mm-hmm. and he's been working out. Yeah, he does. So yeah, he there was a woman, a young woman named Sophia Robb. She's an 18-year-old student from San Francisco. She was put on blast by her dentist who wrote a Tumblr post all about her what? because she had to go to the dentist <laughs> because she broke her retainer in a screening of Black Panther because she clenched her teeth oh my way too tightly when she saw Michael B. Jordan take that his shirt amazing. off. She was so wound <laughs> up about it. She literally clenched her teeth down until she broke the metal wow, in her mouth. Wow, that is serious. So her dentist posts this Tumblr post. <laughs> she sees it, tweets about it and says, oh my God, I'm so embarrassed. Michael B. Jordan sees it and says, I will replace it for you. That's amazing. I'm nice here for guy. Michael B. Jordan. I'm, I love him. He's oh, good people. Mr. Creed. He's good people. Wallace. Oh, yeah. Okay, okay. Would you like to hear the other things that were on my list? Yes. Possible answers. So I, got, I wrote down The Bachelor. These were just categories of things that I thought you might bring up. So Wrinkle in Time. Mm, that yeah, was one. Yeah. Um, Francis McDormand. I know the Oscars seemed like the eight years ago. Oh, but the, that was the this inclusion week. writer. The inclusion writer, yeah. But no, also her Oscar getting stolen. Oh, yes. But they got it back. I know, but I just thought okay, that may yes. have come <laughs> up. And then Sam guy. Nunberg. 
Oh, we got to let him go. Okay. Well, those are, yeah. anyway. But Sam, I not, had, I had he had a day, and I'm like, I hope we don't hear from him okay. again. Just a, just a quick one. Wrinkle yeah. in Time, our former colleague, Michelle Norris, you can hear at the top of that. And I was really. <gasps> really? Oh, yeah. You got to go. Like, it is. She it narrates really, the top? No, she's there play the news. Oh, and it's and, her voice. And it's her voice. Oh. And I was okay. like, oh, yeah. That'll get me in a theater. Yeah. There you go. Oh, yeah. Okay. Um, oh, we're playing Jolene. I'm begging of you, please don't. I like do, that. Do. I love the song. I even like Miley Cyrus's cover of Jolene. I love Miley. Right? I'm underrated. Sing it, Prisca. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Prisca won. Congratulations. Round of applause. I got, Prisca's, one, I got Prisca's, one point really on my own and a half. Yes. Prisca is always a winner. She's a winner. She's a winner. Uh, that concludes my favorite game, Who Said That? Prisca, you won. You get nothing. Uh, I feel good about my you performance. You feel good about yourself. No one asked, and that's all but we want. I feel yes, good about yes. it. <laughs> all right, now it's time to end the show as we do every week. We ask our listeners to share with us the best things that happened to them all week. We encourage folks to brag. They do. Anjali, hit the tape. Hi, Sam. This is Tiffany from Idaho. The best thing that happened to me this week is about to happen. Mm. I am not great at spending money on myself, but my back has been hurting so badly this week. I finally booked a massage and I'm about to go in. Good for you. Dude, I just got out of the massage (laughs) and it was amazing. And I'm going to go get myself some ice cream. Do it. Because I feel like it. Treat yourself. Hi, Sam. This is Dee. Hey, Dee. The best part of my week was meeting my 19-year-old daughter for dinner at Whole Foods and reviewing all the Oscar fashions. Nice. I baked my first chocolate cake from scratch, and it was delicious. Good for you. My little girl, Brinley, turns one year old today. Happy birthday. And it's just been the most wonderful year. Nine months ago, I decided I was going to run a marathon before I had a child. Well, yesterday, I ran my first marathon, and in five weeks, my wife Kate and I are expecting our first baby. Congrats. Hi, Sam. This is Galen from Wisconsin. Hey there. My fiancé is an assistant basketball coach at the University of Wisconsin Oshkosh, and the best thing that happened to me this week was watching his team win their first two games of the NCAA hey. Division Three National Tournament. Wow. Hi, Hi Sam. Hey. This is Leslie and Jasmine. Hello there. We're driving across the country this week because I'm moving from Durham, North Carolina to L.A. Hey, I'll see you here. And, and the, the best, best thing that happened, that happened to us this week was... Seeing the Grand Canyon for the very first time. Also, thanks to your pride in Texas queso, we stopped and had some, and it was great. (laughs) Yeah. Hi, Sam. This is Monica calling from San Francisco, California. And the best thing to happen to me this week was that after 180 days, almost six months to the date after Hurricane Irma struck Puerto Rico, my father got his electricity back. Oh, my gosh. Wow. That's good news. Hi, Sam. It's Jen McCauley from Keene, New Hampshire. My best thing this week is connected to my saddest thing. I came all the way out to Seattle for my friend Tiki's memorial. Mm. We lost her too soon from cancer. But I'm reconnecting with folks I haven't seen in 10 years. And her memorial service was beautiful. And I attribute all of that to her. She was full of joy in her life and continues to bring us joy and bring us together. And I'm very grateful for that. Yeah. Thanks. Have a great day. Can you say hi, Brindley? Can you say hi? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Hi, Brindley. Bye. Every week it gets me. Oh. 
Thanks to our listeners that you heard just there. Tiffany, Dee, Emily, Alyssa and Brinley, Burns, Galen, Leslie and Jasmine, Monica and Jen. Thank y'all so much. Um, we get so many of these. We listen to them all. We wish we could play them all, but we can't. But send them in. Keep sending them in. Also, if you want to send us dog pictures at any point throughout the week, we accept those too. Oh, wow. Yeah. Is that going to be a new segment? Uh, well, <laughs> possibly one day. Uh, email us those best things at any point throughout the week at samsanders at npr.org. We made it, guys. How you feeling? I'm feeling good. I kind of want I want a massage and queso now. That's right. <laughs> Uh, I want us to go out again um, on that song by Masego because I have a little more detail to share about why I picked that song this week. Because I had the privilege of getting to talk about this song and a lot of other songs on a show called World Cafe. Oh, right. No, I love World so Cafe. World Cafe had me on this week to be their guest DJ with their host, Talia Schlanger. Hi. And she let me just like talk about the songs that I love. And it was a super fun chat. We covered everything from Masego to Bonnie Raitt to Beyonce to Creed to Bilal. We hit all the stuff. Uh, it was a fun chat. It's a fun show with a fun host. If you want to hear me talk about music some more, check out the newest episode of World Cafe, wherever you get your podcast. Uh, with that, It's Been a Minute was produced this week by Brent Bachman and Anjali Sastry. Steve Nelson is our director of programming. We had help editing from Jeff Rogers and Allison McAdam. And our big boss, who signed the checks is Anya Grundman, VP of Programming here at NPR. Listeners, refresh your feeds Tuesday morning for a chat with one of my favorite chefs, David Chang. You might know him from founding Momofuku. I went to his newest restaurant here in Los Angeles, and it was super cool. Until then, thank you for listening. I'm Sam Sanders. Talk soon. Ha, ha, ha.